0: I'll ask you to open your Bibles this morning with me to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. As so we continue our verse-by-verse exposition through Peter's letter of encouragement to the believers spread throughout the Roman Empire, being persecuted for their faith, and, and uh, we've, most recently we've seen Peter uh, speaking to, the, to these believers, helping them not only to recognize who they are, um, in Christ, the promises that Christ has given them, but how we need to live out our life for as long as the Lord leaves us here on earth. Because while we have the promises of eternity, while we have the, the glory of salvation, we also have to recognize that God has purpose in us being here now. And uh, much of what Peter gives us in in throughout the letter of First Peter and what we've been discovering as we've been working verse by verse through this book is is that peter continually reminds the people listen you've been saved by christ for the purpose of representing him to the world and so he gives us instruction in how we are to live characteristics that are to be revealed in us in order that we might glorify the lord jesus christ and that and what we're going to see today in in the verses that we're looking at in verses 8 through 12 is that in our obedience to Christ, to represent Him to the world around us, that Christ has promised us blessing. Blessing for obedience. And in fact, the title of the message this morning is The Purpose of Blessing. And it may not be exactly what you think. You hear that title, The Purpose of Blessing, and and you might think, well, that's telling me what God wants me to do with the things that He's given me. And that's really not what we're talking about. We're really talking about the overarching purposes that God has for us as believers as we obey Him and enjoy the blessings of salvation. That's a simplified way of, of, of presenting the topic for this morning as we approach this text. And, and you know, it, it just it saddens me sometimes when we think about the blessings the Lord gives us. And, and uh, it saddens me because the first thing that we often think about is not salvation. When we think about the blessings the Lord gives us, we almost immediately begin to think about material things. We think about temporal things. We think about we think about good things. And and we ought to recognize that every good thing comes from God and is and is a blessing. But we really as followers of Christ, we need to maintain the perspective that the greatest blessing that we've ever received is our salvation in Jesus Christ. And through Understanding that blessing, we can begin to understand and interpret the rest of our life and the rest of the world around us and begin to understand the promises and purposes for which we have been saved. Our life as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ is filled with purpose. God created us for His purposes. You know, that's that very reality is the reason why we will never know true satisfaction in this life apart from pursuing and fulfilling the purposes that God has for us. We, we cannot know true satisfaction apart from that because we were created for that very reason. So in, And until we get to the point where we are glorifying Christ in our life, until we get to the point where we recognize what it is He wants us to do and we begin to do it, We won't really know what satisfaction really is. We're always going to be looking for something more. But in Christ, we realize that the something more is Christ himself. And as we live pleasing to him, we find peace and hope and encouragement and satisfaction in our souls. And this is really what this message this morning is going to be about. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through verse number 12. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we pray for open ears to hear your word, open hearts to receive your word. And we pray, Lord, for the filling of your spirit to carry out your word in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Now really, the title for this message, and I believe the heart of this message, really or the heart of this text rather, comes to us out of the end of verse 9 and where Peter says, For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. The most literal Greek rendering of this says that you were called into this. That's the most literal. Into this, that you might receive or that you might inherit a blessing. The, The idea of being called into this means this very thing or as the New American Standard says, this very purpose. But notice the focus is, is, not, is not into, into this. It is the, the focus is on what we were called to. We were effectually called by the grace of God into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We were called for the purpose of inheriting a blessing. Well, that sounds pretty good, right? Right? We are called for the purpose of inheriting a blessing. But what is the blessing? What is it that Peter is referring to when he says that we will inherit a blessing? Is he speaking of a specific blessing or is he talking about blessings in general? Is he speaking of the blessing of a good name or the blessing of a good life or the eternal blessings of heaven? Well, if we look at the word blessing itself, the word blessing, it comes from the Greek word eulogia, which... Where we get the English word eulogy from, and what's a eulogy? Is when we speak well of somebody, right? So we could say that a blessing is the idea of of a good name or a good reputation, right? I mean, just on its face, we would say that that it is a blessing, right, to have a good reputation. That's a blessing. We we can earn that. Well, if you if you continue to to examine the the text and and you and you look and and you say, well, that idea of a good name and a good reputation certainly is a blessing and it fits the context with what we've been studying. I mean, we've just finished a whole series of commandments on submission as as Peter instructs us how to live in this world. Going back to chapter 2, verse 11, he's told us that we are strangers and aliens in this world and that we are to to live in such a way as to be pleasing unto the Father. In fact, very specifically, um, 2.11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul, and keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, Glorify God in the day of visitation, and then he goes on to talk about how do we how do we do that? How do we live life? Well, we politically we submit to the governing authorities, right? Socially we submit to our employers and those who we have to work with and work for. Um, in the family, we submit to the responsibilities that God has given each of us, and so so he's given us this instruction: is how do we live in this world as? Citizens of heaven, and yet residents of the current world, and that's really what this whole passage is about. Because he's wanting us to to have a good name and a good reputation. So there is that that sense of 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 blessing being that reality. But it could also be we could also say that that Peter is referring to the blessings, just the blessings of life in general. As a matter of fact, and and uh, when we look at, at verse. If verse number, uh, verse number 11, I'm sorry, verse number 10 here in uh, chapter 3, he says, the one who desires life to love and see good days, you know, he says, so that's, that, you know, uh, some of your translations probably say that he who desires to love life and see good things, right, that's kind of, those are the things of life, right, the temporal blessings, things that we can enjoy now, and so it's very closely related to and seems to kind of explain the, the blessing that Peter's talking about. So maybe, maybe that's the blessing he's referring to. Or maybe it is the eternal blessings of, of heaven that, have awaited, that that await us. I mean, after all, um, you know, back in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, uh, Peter had told us that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you. And of course that that eternal inheritance would seem to fit because he says we're he says for we are, we have this very purpose in us that we might inherit a blessing, right? So the idea of inheritance is something that is yet future. And so so where do we come down? Where do we land on what is the blessing that he's referring to? Well, I, I think in, in a sense we could say it's all of these things, but only in as far as they are related to the overall blessing of salvation. And When we think of temporal blessings and having a good life, and, and sometimes we think of material things, but I don't think that's really what, what Peter has in mind here. I think he's talking about the, the, the blessing of living a life pleasing to the Lord. And, of course, the eternal blessings are always in view when we, when we speak of bless, the blessings of God because it's those things that we look forward to that encourage and strengthen us and help us to persevere through difficulty in which these people that Peter's writing to were experiencing great difficulty under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And so I think the thing that to take away from this is not that we need to nail down the specific blessing because I don't think he's talking about a very specific thing, but a more general, the blessings of salvation that follow the children of God, and in particular, those blessings which follow us for our obedience to his word. Now, hear, hear me out, okay? Because I think while, while Peter certainly is seeking to encourage um, in seeking to encourage the believers here, there, there are some people that would Would respond to the idea of these blessings being a response to obedience. You say, well, you know, if you say that that God blesses you only because you obey, then you're undermining the grace of God. Well, I don't think, I don't, I don't believe that to be true because I think it's just a fulfillment of God's word to us, and I'll explain that here in just a moment. But we just need to understand that God, in saving us, has blessings that He determines to manifest in our lives. So so as we look at the the blessings that, that God has promised to us, we think about the blessing of provision, the blessing of perseverance in trials, the blessing of the Holy Spirit that is given to us as believers to comfort, guide, and teach us. It is the blessing of seeing others come to faith in Christ through our witness. All of these things are blessings that we enjoy as we obey God's word. And while, while Peter is, as, like I said, he's trying to encourage believers and he's trying to speak to them of the abundance of God's blessings, and I think just from what we've already spoken of, you can see there is an abundance of God's blessings towards his children, which he desires for us. You know, the scripture is full of, of Not only of the, the revealing of God's blessings towards us, but also the revealing of God's purposes for us. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. But I just want to back up. You know, we have in, in Scripture, in Romans eight twenty nine, we read of the purpose of conformity. As Christ has predestined us to conform us into the image of Christ, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That is, he, makes, he purposes to make us like Jesus, so others might see Jesus through us and come to know him. And then, earlier in this letter, in chapter 2, in verse 21, it says that we have been called for the purpose of enduring and for perseverance, following the example of Christ's endurance, as He endured for our benefit. And now we are told that we are saved for the purpose of inheriting a blessing. And while all of these purposes are stated differently, they all have one thing in common. They are all given to us in order to that we might magnify the faithfulness of Christ. Our purpose is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. His blessings, both received and those that are promised, are given to us so that He will be exalted. They're given to us to magnify His name. We've already said that that, that uh, Peter has reminded us that because we're strangers and aliens that we need to act in a way so that others will come to glorify God when Christ returns. That is the purpose for which God has saved us. That is, and the purpose of His blessing is to remind us that He has promised to us goodness and grace in response to our obedience. And so he starts off in verse, number nine, or in verse number 8, and he says, to sum up. Uh, your, your translation may say, finally. It's actually probably a more accurate translation um, from, the, from the Greek word telos there, which means the, the, to be the end. And, uh, but Peter wasn't ending the letter. I mean, he's only about halfway through what he's saying. But he was ending a particular area of discussion and this exhortation to live with a purpose, to live with the purpose of persevering in order that Christ might be exalted and that we might receive the blessings of obedience, both the blessings that we receive in this world and those that we will receive in the world to come. So in verses 8 and 9, then, we are given the parameters of the blessing, and in verses 10 through 12, we are given the promise of the blessing, as Peter quotes from Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16. So this morning, we're just going to focus on the parameters of the blessing as we, as we speak about this, the purpose of the inherited blessing for which God has promised to us and God has purposed for us. So let's look again at verses 8 and 9. He says, To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. So as Peter continues to give instruction to the to the believers uh, there and, and, and to us, he wants to give them this final exhortation in how to earn a good reputation that honors Christ and influences those around us so that we might experience the blessings of salvation. You now, as I said, there are some that would say, you know, you're well, you know, if you say that that uh, blessings are the result of obedience, then you're undermining God's grace. But in this but I don't really think that to be the case for several reasons. One, because God has said throughout his word that if we obey, he's going to bless us. Okay? I mean he's just he just tells us that over and over again. In James 125, um, the Bible says it says, one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer this man will be blessed in what he does so we see that blessing follows obedience jesus said in john 13 17 if you know these things you are blessed if you do them blessing follows obedience you see salvation itself is not earned it is the grace of god toward us who are who are sinners who are guilty before a holy God, and God in His goodness forgives us and cleanses us and helps us to recognize who He is and who we are, and then He brings us to the throne of grace in order to cleanse us and to to make us His children. And that is purely grace. There's nothing we can do to earn that. We can't earn that. And so we talk about that being grace. But what about the blessings of God that follow the grace of salvation? Well, those aren't, those really, if you think about it, those aren't earned in the sense that we think about earning, because our obedience doesn't obligate God to do anything specific for us. We don't earn it in the sense that God says, well, you know what, if you obey me in this area, then I'm going to give you a new car. Or if you obey me in this area, then I'm going to get you a new wardrobe. Or if you obey me in this area, I'm going to give you a new job. I mean, God doesn't do that. He doesn't give us the the specifics of how he's going to bless us. The blessing is totally within his power and is totally within his choice to bless us as he sees fit, although he will always honor his word. And his word says, I will bless you. Now, as a parent, I have certain expectations for my children, right? And when my children obey me and they do the things that I expect them to do, then that helps to maintain a certain uh, relationship within the family, right? It maintains peace, it keeps everything going, it, it strengthens our relationship because we rec- they recognize that I have expectations and they meet them and it pleases me when they do and, and so it maintains peace in the relationship because when expectations aren't met, conflict arises, right? So conflict arises when, when there's disobedience, but obedience maintains peace. Well, peace is the blessing. Now, if I decide, because my children have been exceptionally good, that I want to take them out for ice cream, right? And I may even tell them, you know, well, you've earned it. But did they really? I mean, did they really earn it just from doing the things that they were supposed to do? No. I mean, it was perfectly within my right as their father and within the choices that I make and how I'm going to respond to them in in love and what I want to, to give to them as a reward for their obedience. I didn't have to take them out for ice cream, but I did it because I love them, and, it, and that's, that's grace. That, that's, that's a blessing on them for that. And that's how it is with our Heavenly Father. We maintain our relationship through obedience. We've, by disobedience, we can forfeit blessing. We don't ever forfeit the relationship. The relationship is intact. The relationship is preserved through the power of God. But we can forfeit blessing through disobedience. But when we obey, We maintain peace with our God and Father and Lord Jesus Christ, and and that is a blessing. And when God gives us greater things in our life because we've honored Him, that is a blessing. It is just grace upon grace. He chooses to bless us according to His good pleasure. But even in the assurance of blessing... God does not guarantee us that we won't suffer. Sometimes I think we we tend to think that, well, if God's blessing us, that means everything's going to be good. Well, that's not what God has promised. He didn't say everything's going to be good. He says, if you obey me, I'll bless you, which means when you experience difficulty, when you experience suffering, and when you're struggling through life, that if you continue to obey God, that he's going to bless you in the midst of your suffering. That he's going to be there, he's going to encourage you, he's going to strengthen you, he's going to give you perseverance. You're going to, he's going to manifest his presence and a power in such a way that you know he is present in your life. And that is a blessing. When you're in the midst of suffering and you know that God is with you, there's no greater blessing than that, no greater comfort. And so, you know, in disobedience... We forfeit blessings, but in obedience, we preserve them. And so Peter sets out to remind us of some ways that we can honor the Lord and enjoy the blessings of obedience. Now, he's very careful about the words that he chooses in this passage. It's very interesting. When you look at verse 8, and you look at the words that that he gives us here and how we're to follow Christ and how we're to represent Him, four out of the five words are only used here in the New Testament. It's the only place they occur. And the, and the fifth and one and the other word is only used one other time. So Peter is not just he's not just throwing out platitudes here. He's not just he's not just throwing stuff out there. He's being very careful in the way that he instructs us in how we are to honor the Lord and enjoy the blessings of obedience. And so first he says that we should be Harmonious. It, 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 this is a compound word in the Greek, and it, it comes up with two words: one meaning the same, and the other one meaning uh, mind or thinking. We are to be of the same thinking, of the same mind. We are to be like-minded as believers, right? And I and I threw that in there as believers because you can't be like-minded as unbelievers. If you're like-minded as an unbeliever, then maybe you're not a believer. Um, I would, in fact, I think, I really believe that, that verse 8 in particular and verse 9 in, in part are actually instructions um, specifically related to the body of Christ. This is Peter's encouragement to unity within the body as he instructs us to be like-minded. Believers must be united in the way we think about things. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Our common identity in Christ and our common experience of faith should lead us to be united in the cause of Christ. Seeking to grow in our knowledge and understanding in the faith and working together for the building up of the body of Christ and the spread of the Gospel. That is, as as we are like-minded, we are to pursue together the things that please the Lord. We're to have the mind of Christ. You know, the Lord despises division within His church. He cannot and He will not bless a church that harbors a spirit of division. And so we are exhorted to be harmonious, to be like-minded. The second exhortation He gives us here is that to be sympathetic. The Greek word is actually sympathos. I mean, you can't get any more clear than the translation of sympathetic when you have the Greek word being sympathos, which is exactly what it means. Again, this is a compound word, and it means to suffer together or to feel together. That's what the word means. A lot of times we think of sympathy as not being such a good word anymore. You hear someone saying that they're, they're sympathetic. They say, oh, you're not supposed to be sympathetic. You're supposed to be empathetic because empathetic is supposed to be so much better and so much more understanding than being sympathetic. Well, I don't know how you can get any closer than suffering together with or feeling together with somebody. Now, I understand that, you know, English language changes and we have different connotations and things but this word in the Greek is a as a word of identification it is a word of experiencing feelings and difficulties and hardships together and this is and this was certainly the experience of Peter's audience as as the Roman empire is is closing in on them and persecuting them and killing them and torturing them and and, uh, and they all have this common experience. Some, many of them have fled their homes and they've resettled in another country um, to escape persecution. And then here comes the Roman Empire and, and uh, persecution is just increasing and they've lost family and they've lost friends. And, and so they've, they, they understand. And Peter says, listen, be understanding towards one another. Understand what they're feeling. Too many times within the body of Christ you know, we, we make judgment calls against people without taking the time to try and understand the reasoning behind their actions or decisions. We just know we don't like it. And before you know it, conflict and difficulty arises within the body. The same type of thing happens outside the church as well, just as, a, as an example. Sometimes, um, you know, we'll, we may go out to eat somewhere and, uh, you know, and the service is just really terrible. And so we say, man, they're just, they're just a terrible server. But we've not taken the time to really find out what's going on in their life. They, they may be suffering loss. They may be suffering anxiety. They may, they may have some kind of difficulty that they're, that they're dealing with that is really making it difficult for them to even be at work that day. And they're doing the best they can to be there, but they're so distracted and they're so distraught that they're just not really doing a good job. But it's because they're, they're broken and they're hurting, and yet we just think oh they're just lazy, they're just incompetent, I just can't believe I had to wait 10 minutes for my sweet tea. And, and we just we make these judgment calls against them. And, there, and there's really little repercussions for those judgment calls because you know we're probably not going to see that person at least very often in the near future. But think about when those same types of things happen within the body of Christ. And we see these people week after week after week. And, and we've made judgment calls against them because they've done something that's offended us. And we've not taken the time to talk to them and figure out what's going on in their life. We've not taken the time to try and understand things from their perspective. We've not taken... the t- and, and so what happens is this negativity erupts, gossip begins to spread, there's a root of bitterness that takes hold of the hearts of people, disrupting the spirit of fellowship and the unity which is necessary for the church to carry out our purposes in Christ. Listen to this warning in Hebrews twelve fifteen. It says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Gossip, bitterness destroy the unity of the church. But we can avoid that by being sympathetic. To come together, to be understanding, to be like-minded, to be brotherly is the next word in the text tells us that we are to be brotherly. The word here is is really one probably better expressed as um, it's it's a single word, but it's probably better expressed as being um, expressing the love of a brother, and that's 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 the word here. It's it's uh, you may be familiar if. Uh, with, with the Greek word uh, Philadelphos, uh, where Philadelphia comes from, which means brotherly love, and that's a word that shows up throughout Scripture in different places. But the particular form that's here is only here in the New Testament. But it's, it's that same root word of brotherly love, and and this is, you know, this is just really Peter returning to what he's already expressed ought to be the reality of the church. We go back to chapter 1 and verse 22, and he says, "...since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren..." And that's the word that's similar here. He says, "...fervently love one another from the heart." So Peter has expressed that once, and now he returns to this need to demonstrate brotherly love. To encourage caring responses among church members spurring them on to closer relationships and mutual encouragement. We are to care for one another as a family. We're to reach out and, and, and seek to engage and to be understanding because that's what families are supposed to do. He says also, in addition to being, into being brotherly, we're to be kind-hearted. The word carries the idea of being full of compassion for those around us. Beyond just being understanding, the the idea of compassion seeks to alleviate pain. That is, we can see somebody's having difficulty and we can try and be understanding what they're doing, but compassion says, I want to help you overcome. I want to help you get beyond where you are. And this is what Peter tells us that we're to do. You know, and really all of these things. All of these things have been exemplified for us in Jesus Christ. When you think of being compassionate, think of what Christ did for us on the cross. He saw us in the most pitiful state that we could be in. Sinners, enslaved to sin, condemned to an eternity of suffering, and Christ in His abundant love came to endure the punishment that we deserved, in order that we might be cleansed of our sin, that we might be reconciled unto Him and become children of God. We must be followers of Christ's example, expressing these characteristics. And we must do it with a humble spirit. So the last word there in verse number 8. A humble spirit. It most literally translates the word, or it translates as being humble-minded. To be humble-minded. Putting others' needs above our own. As Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. You hear that humility of mind in the Philippians passage? That's very similar to the word that we have here. To be humble in spirit, humble-minded, the outworking of humility. And in verse 9, we see what that looks like. He says they are not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. Now, the conflict that we see here in verse 9 is that of of insults and, and, uh, and not giving back insult for insult or evil for evil. So it represents conflict, which, you know, I think... Peter most likely intended this to begin to reflect not the relationships within the church, but those without. Even as Christ, isn't as we saw in the example of Christ back in chapter 2, as Christ was going to the cross. And in chapter 2, verse number uh, 21, or 22, he says, He committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges. Righteously. And, and so we see the example of Jesus and we see Him not, not doing what was being done to Him. It really goes back to, you know, to the golden rule. Most of us have heard the golden rule since the time we were children. Luke 6.31, Jesus says, treat others the same way you want to be treated. Right? That sounds a pretty simple instruction from the Word of God, that we should just treat others the way we want to be treated. But how do we most often apply that to our life? We treat others the way they treat us. So if someone does something to us, we're going to get them back. We respond and react. We retaliate. We act out of retaliation rather than than being exemplary in our behavior. But Christ has called us to be an example. He has called us to follow His lead. In fact, as we see Christ going to the cross, and we have that description in, in chapter 2, 23 of, of uh, our text, mean, you think about it, Jesus is going to the cross, these people are insulting Him, they're, they're spitting on Him, they're mocking Him. And Jesus looks around and He knows He's going because of their sin. He's going so that they can be forgiven. And He prays as He's going. Forgive them. Forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. We desperately need to follow this example in our own life. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but forgiving others even as we have been forgiven in Christ Jesus. Jesus speaks the words of forgiveness in the greatest of agonies as he lives out the very instruction that he had given to his disciples in Luke 6, 27 and 28. He says, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you and bless those who curse you. Pray for those that mistreat you. And while I think Peter really has in mind the things outside the church, we have to recognize these same kind of things can happen within the body of Christ also. And we need to guard against those things, recognizing the reputation of the church, which is the reputation of Christ Himself is at stake. And so we seek to overcome by being humble-minded, following the example of Christ, doing for Him as He has shown us how to be faithful and caring and compassionate. And so Peter gives us instruction reminding us that we have been called to represent Christ. We have been redeemed for the purpose of honoring Him with our lives so that we might represent Him to the world. We cannot represent Christ when our actions are based on personal preferences and desires rather than obedience to the calling of Christ and to the unity of His church. God desires, and has purpose to bless his children. Not so that we can be wealthy and free from hardship, but so that we can know the faithfulness of his love, the sureness of his provision, the comfort of his presence, the peace of answered prayer, so that we might rest in the sovereignty of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to know him, to magnify his grace, and to share his glory the glory of salvation with others. He has promised us blessing through obedience so that we might represent his word, his character in the church, and also in the relationships that he gives us in the world. Being harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for we were called for this very purpose that we might inherit a blessing. Pursuing these traits will not provide salvation, that it can only salvation only comes through faith in Christ, understanding our guilt, repenting and turning to Him for forgiveness that we might become his children. But in our relationship to Christ, we must understand that we have been tasked with the privilege of representing Him to the world. And that's where these traits come in. And by pursuing them, we demonstrate our commitment to honor Christ with our lives and we receive the blessing—the blessings of salvation. Just as Christ has purposed to conform us to his in, in His image, which are reflected in these characteristics, He has also purposed to bless us in our obedience. We're not going to reflect these characteristics perfectly, but we ought to seek to reflect them consistently. We ought to seek to honor Him by pursuing this reality. Understanding that a heart that desires to honor Christ is a heart That Christ will strengthen in order for obedience. I want to say that to you again. A heart that desires to honor Christ through obedience is a heart that will be strengthened by Christ for obedience. He wants this to be the reality of our life. He wants us to be the reflection. And He gives us the strength to carry it out as we rely on Him. That's that's the beauty and the joy of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. He doesn't just give us a bunch of rules to follow and just say, you know what, do the best you can, and when you mess up, I'm going to get you. That's That's not what he does. He says, listen, I understand your weaknesses, and I'm here to help you. Trust in me, and I will walk with you. Pursue obedience to my word, and I will strengthen you. He, That's his grace, and that's the beauty of having a relationship with him, is that we can trust him to carry out his promises and His purposes in our life. I don't know where you are in your walk this morning. I don't know what the Lord's been doing in your life or or how this message may impact you this morning, But I but we all need to be reminded that Christ has promised us blessing for obedience and that He desires to encourage us in our obedience so that we might glorify Him. Where is your heart this morning? Are you desiring to obey Him? To reflect His glory? Do you even care? We're going to have an invitation now and I just want you to reflect on your own walk with Christ and how has His Word impacted you on a daily basis? How has His Word strengthened you or has it? If you need to come to saving faith in Christ, if you need to give your life to Him, He's ready to receive you. Or if you just recognize this morning that you're, you're not where you want to be, you can pray and ask Him, and He's, he's going to help you get there. Or maybe, maybe, you've, maybe you've been doing a good job. Maybe you've been walking in obedience, and you're reflecting these And you're not doing it perfectly, but you're doing it consistently. Praise the Lord. But don't become proud. Understand it's only by His grace that we persevere. Let's stand together as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your Word and for Your truth. We thank You for the love that has been expressed to us. We thank You, Lord, for saving us. And we thank You for the promises of Your Word. We thank You that You have purposed that we might inherit a blessing from You when we honor You with our lives. Lord, I pray that for every person within the sound of my voice, Lord, that they would take an inventory of their own heart and that they would desire to follow You in obedience that You might be glorified above all. Give us strength to persevere. Give us hope in Your love. Give us the ability to obey consistently for the glory of your name. And it's in that name we pray. Amen. Jim's.